You're listening to An Educated Guest, a podcast that brings together great minds in higher ed to delve deeper into the innovations and trends guiding the future of education and careers. Hosted by the president of Wiley Education Services, Todd Zipper. Hello, and welcome to An Educated Guest. I'm your host, Todd Zipper, and today I am here with Dan Avita, CEO and co-founder of Engagely. Dan has been working in technology companies as an executive and board member for over three decades. Several of these companies have scaled from a small founding team to over $100 million in revenue and valuations of over a billion. Dan was on the board of Coursera, which recently went public, and he also started Engagely in 2020. We discussed topics like addressing need for engaging synchronous tools in online education while improving asynchronous learning, discuss the shortcomings of traditional teleconferencing tools like Google Meet, Slack, and Teams, improving engagement and collaboration between instructors and students to help drive quality outcomes at scale, addressing inclusivity, equity, and diversity through platform design and functionality, and finally, the future of the personalized learning journey, machine learning, use of data, dashboards, and AI. Dan, thanks so much for being here today. Thank you for inviting me. All right, so let's talk about the pandemic. As we all know, education was completely upended in March 2020, and instructors were quickly trying to figure out how to move their in-person courses into an online format. Zoom University became a common term as both faculty and students became frustrated with the limitation platform like Zooms offered. How did the discussion begin with your co-founders, and why was this something that you were so passionate about? So Silicon Valley was uh, thrust into lockdown, more or less in the space of a small number of days. And my two daughters, which were time, were a 10th grader and a 12th grader in a elite local high school were immediately thrown, as you put it, into a Zoom school. And it took a very short period of time to figure out all the loopholes. And so one was working very hard on perfecting her mastery of Sims, and the other was going in a methodical way through the Netflix catalog. And it was because the classes were not engaging. It was difficult for the teachers to teach. It was difficult for the learners to learn. And candidly, because of the very short time that the school had to adjust, Our assumption was that simply the school did not have time to research the right tools for synchronous online education. And so we started looking for such a tool and candidly were surprised that none was in existence. And so we talked about it, uh, Daphne and I, and thought that uh, we need to help solve this problem. And so I called up our very longtime friend and multiple different project collaborators, Serge Plotkin, who was a professor at Stanford for many decades. He actually joined Stanford right out of his PhD at MIT as a professor when uh, Daphne, my wife, started her PhD studies, and we've been close friends ever since. I described to him what we're thinking of. He thought it was a great idea. And so we launched the company. We very quickly raised a $14.5 million round from our friends and family had a few people that were all handpicked join us. Uh, Most of these people, by the way, have worked with us throughout most of the past uh, three decades. (laughs) So there were known quantities. And we also had join us a bunch of very, very bright, super capable young engineers. And we put together the product. Excellent. And, And you did it so quickly. You were out in the public by October. 
how were you able to launch so quickly? Is this your proximity to Silicon Valley and knowing how to get products launched quickly? It's a great question. So it's proximity to actually two different venues where people know how to build products quickly. It's Silicon Valley in Israel. So when we started the company on day zero, we decided to create an Israeli office, which is headed by a super capable person. We staffed up there as well as we staffed up in the Valley. And because we know a lot of the people we're working with, uh, people got very quickly into a rhythm of working together. And that enabled us to build the product very, very quickly. My whole career, I mean, my first startup was when I was in college, and then I spent five years in the military, again, doing a short turnaround projects. has always been about uh, speed. In fact, I built a building that allowed me to name a street, which the street uh, this building is located on, and I named it uh, Velocity Way. I think in technology, it's all about speed and effective execution. So talking about speed and scale, you helped, uh, you were one of the early board members of Coursera. You mentioned Daphne, which of course is your wife and one of the co-founders of Coursera. As in, how did being an early board member help inform your thinking around Engagely and, and getting it started? So the spaces are adjacent, but not overlapping. And by the way, Daphne and I left uh, the Coursera board at this time a few years ago. We have a good idea of what it takes to work with university, and we have a good idea of what it takes to make online education interesting for students. As you well know, Coursera is focused more on asynchronous education, while we started Engagely with a thought towards a synchronous education. We did have a number of executives from Coursera join us. So the Andrina, who leads our teaching and learning team, used to head teaching and learning at Coursera. Giovanni hands up our international and partner successes from Coursera. And Talia, who is based in Jerusalem, who leads our EMEA efforts, also came out of Coursera. So there's definitely how to be had. But we also have a number of uh, people that joined us from Trilogy, which again has a different aspect of how you teach people. So there's definitely parallels, but there's also major differences. When Coursera started from the beginning, we were very focused on getting very high quality content on the platform, which led us to initially partner with elite institutions because basically their content is uh, sought after by students. At Engagely, we're focused on the broad spectrum of students, whether in junior colleges or at elite institutions. We're happy to help all of them. We believe that the type of education that we enable instructors to provide is suitable for people throughout the entire spectrum. And our thinking is no matter which university a student attends, some level of engagement with other students and with the professors is vital. As uh, Serge well puts it, all the content today is effectively free. I mean, you can go to Coursera and view lectures from the top lectures in the world. What people are paying tuition dollars for are two things. One is a diploma, but the other thing they're paying for is candidly the interaction with the students and with instructors, with the TAs and so on. And that's what we've built our platform to provide. Now, as we continue to build more and more capabilities into the platform, we're definitely strengthening the asynchronous capabilities that we offer. Today, it's all around recording. At Engagely, we allow students to view recorded classes with their friends, 
and collaborate with their friends in real time as they're watching recorded lessons. We know for a fact that that greatly increases the learning outcomes. There is a paper back from the 70s by Professor Jim Gibbons at Stanford that showed that employees of Hewlett-Packard in Roseville, which is a city to the north of San Francisco, who viewed recordings of Stanford classes. And all they had there was another person from Stanford just to stop the video every few minutes and help the students discuss it, led to much improved learning outcomes. So we facilitate that at Engagely. So the engagement, which is part of the name of Engagely, is not just in synchronous, but also in asynchronous. And this human-to-human interaction is vital, in our opinion, for many types of learners. That's great. And I'd like to put Engagely in context for the, the broader market of online education in the ed tech ecosystem. So we have the learning management system like Blackboard and Canvas and Moodle. We have videos or lecture of lectures. We have online tutoring. We have homework help sites. We have student information systems. And then there are discussion boards. And so there's a ton of going on in this ecosystem that a university is trying to figure out how to provide a great teaching and learning experience for their students. Can you talk a little bit about how Engagely fits into that system? You've talked about some of the features and why it's needed right now and sort of how do you kind of get in there and sort of become part of the market? One of our uh, co-inventors on our core patents is my uh, now 16 and a half year old daughter, Maya. And one of the points that Maya made was today to be a student uh, in, uh, like you said, Zoom University, you have to be a little system integrator. So if you want to do polls or quizzes, you have to use Kahoot or Poll Everywhere or some such thing. If you want to collaborate on a document, you have to go to yet another tab and go to Google Docs. And so this requirement to handle many tools is an onus not just on the instructors, but on the students as well. So Maya specifically is very facile with technology, but even for her, she thought it was a pain to have to flip between different tabs when you want to do different things. And so first of all, we try to integrate as much as we can into the product and make it also easier from a cognitive load perspective for the instructor and for the students. So everything is driven in Engagely from the instructor's presentation. The instructor does not have to fire up another product in order to do polls, quizzes, show very high quality video clips. And the instructor can use any type of presentation software they want, or it could be a PDF file, it can be a Word file, and nothing is required to be uploaded ahead of time. And so we actually try to minimize the use by the instructor of other tools to make it as easy as possible for the instructor to teach which is what they want to do. They do not want to start mastering 20 other products. But in terms of integrations, are important integrations that we have in our products, specifically with LMS. So in um, many universities, classes are launched from an LMS. We enable that in Engagely. Engagely looks to the LMS like basically an LTI tool. So it appears as an LTI tool in the class page. The student clicks on that, that fires up the Engagely digital classroom. 
If there is a live class going on, it automatically inserts the student into this live classroom. If there is not, it shows the student all the available recordings of prior classes. And again, this is an engaging, pun intended, engage the recording. And so if there was a poll or a quiz in the live class, when the student is viewing it, they have to respond to the poll or quiz in order to proceed in viewing the recording. The user interface we've developed for the recorded uh, class is almost identical to the live class. So again, people can view it with their friends, they can collaborate, they can take notes, which are then synced with the recording, they can collaborate using discussion boards, and so on. Now, I want to be clear, you can launch an engagement class without an LMS if you want to. So some universities, they don't want the overhead of starting to integrate with their existing infrastructure. But if they want, we definitely integrate well with LMS systems. And down the road, I suspect we'll also integrate with student information systems. Great. So Engagely is primarily, at least for now, a video platform that works complementary to a learning management system, you said, not replacing it. But let's talk about the competitive set, if you will. So we talked about Zoom universities. There's the Google Meets, the Slacks or, or Microsoft Teams in the corporate world that we've watched over the last 12 months. We use Microsoft Teams. We've seen it evolve incredibly well. How do you think the schools, do they use those platforms going forward? How are they limited? We know that there's a competitor out there that built a, maybe a, you'd call it a competitor to Engagely on top of Zoom. How are you thinking about those traditional video conferencing tools that a lot is going and getting invested into being used in universities versus something like Engagely? We definitely benefit from all the heavy work that Google and others are putting into the modern browsers to support video conferencing. But it's not like uh, what uh, some people are doing, which is they're taking Zoom and prepackaging it and adding a little bit of uh, classroom features around it, but they're still limited with all the limitations of Zoom. We handle all our own audio video handling. It's completely done by Engagely. All the media servers are our own. That enables us to do one of our core features that people love, which is this uh, concept of tables, where students are sitting around virtual tables, and they can interact with each other, talk physically, like audio talk to each other while hearing the instructor. You cannot do this when you're writing on top of a corporate designed video conferencing tool. In a typical conference call, you're not supposed to talk to your friends while the conference call is going on. And so they have the concept of breakout rooms, but breakout rooms in Zoom and other platforms are effectively other separate calls. In us, there is no distinction. And I don't know if you, I'm sure you have seen how people have to shuffle into a breakout room, shuffle out of a breakout room. There's none of that in Engagely. It's really like a physical classroom where people are sitting at tables and they can talk to each other while hearing the instructor. You cannot do this on top of a tool. Now, are we going to kick out all these video conferencing tools from universities? No, because at this point, they're like a basically phone. They're utility. We've moved from where people just talk to people on the phone to where everybody wants to talk to everybody else, from their mother, grandmother, kids, onto their colleagues using a video conference. But interestingly enough, we've had people who've seen our product who've asked us if they can use it for corporate conferencing purposes. We're saying no, because we don't want to be defocused, but we have actually specific features, which again, I mean, we obviously observed what people have been doing. And like you said about Teams that has greatly improved and same Google Meet over the past year, uh, we've definitely observed what people are doing. And we have some neat features in Engagely, which make it even fun for people using it for basically just conference calls. 
But to be clear, we're not going in that space. And so we, we definitely are sure that, I mean, right now it's becoming a pretty meaningful business for the conference call vendors. So I'm sure they're not going to just, you know, walk away. But on the flip side, they all have other competitors they got to deal with. I mean, Zoom has to, in my opinion, look at what, uh, like you said, Teams, which is rapidly evolving and happens to be free. And they have to look at what Google is doing with Meet, which is also rapidly evolving and also happens to be free for people that use G Suite and for people and Microsoft uh, users get Teams for free. So I, I think that they all have other things to do other than just focus on higher ed. All we do is higher ed. Right. And it seems like they they hope it'll just work out and students and faculty will figure out how to create that collaborative environment that you guys are very intentional about virtually. So it seems like the the word of this podcast is engage or engagement. And you just mentioned a couple of those features that really bring to life that engagement of the learner and the faculty member. And I can imagine when faculty have classes of 100 students or more, which many of them do, that it's a struggle to really, not just on campus, it certainly is in a classroom, but, but certainly virtually it is. But I know that you've designed some features to really get at this. And one feature that really stood out to me is the way instructors can track students' activity through data points that are directly linked to learning outcomes. This is such a, a cool way to, to see results in real time. Can you talk a little bit more about this? I know it's so hard. I wish I could give a demo here for everyone. It's how our industry works oftentimes, but maybe you could try to bring that to life. That and any other features that really allow engagement, which hopefully drives student satisfaction and generally retention and outcomes that your schools want to drive. One of my uh, favorite business thinkers is Peter Drucker. And he says, if you can't measure, you can't improve. And so you have to measure. I mean, if you don't measure, there is no way to figure out where students are lagging, uh, where they need more help, where they're really excited about what they're doing. And so we, we set out to fully instrument. And again, back to your previous point, this is not something you would need to do in a business conferencing solution because you assume that the people on the conference call are supposed to be engaged. So exactly like you said, we track pretty much every activity a student does on the platform. Now we do it in a non-creepy way. So first of all, we say exactly what it is we're tracking and we do not track things like, for example, what other software are they running on their computer or where are their eyes looking or what is in the background of the room. We don't do anything like that. It's exactly like you said, we track their activity. So what are all these, we track a lot of different things that students can do on our platform. Are they sending chat messages? Are they posting questions? Are they answering questions? Uh, by the way, again, the major difference between us and a conference call system, we totally separate out the chat from the Q&A. The chat is ephemeral. It's basically for people to just uh, chat with each other. The Q&A is like a discussion board that's threaded. So a student can post a question, other students can post answers. The instructor can even validate the answer, which is correct. And students can actually vote up a question as being a particularly interesting question. So the instructor can answer that in real time during the class. Picture, like you said, a large class with 100 students. Imagine how many chat messages there are. And it's just totally impossible for a normal instructor to track through this endless stream of consciousness going on in the chat without uh, totally losing focus on what they're trying to teach. So with us, to use a word used, which I fully agree with, intentional, we intentionally separate out the Q&A from the chat. We do not, by the way, record the chat. We record the Q&A, which is part of this body. Other things we track are our students taking notes. 
Students like taking notes on our system because automatically get a screenshot of the instructor's screen. They can draw on it and then they can save it to an editable file, like a file that they can later edit in Word or in Google Docs or on a Mac. And so we track, did they take notes? Did they respond to polls and quizzes? They, they respond correctly to quiz questions. What is the amount of time they talked during the various uh, sessions in the class? Did they raise their hand? It engaged the for a student to be heard throughout the entire class. They have to raise their hand. Um, and we measure how much, how many times they've raised their hand and how much time they've spent at the podium speaking to the class. All these are good indicators of the level of engagement of a student. And they come in through like an executive dashboard of some kind for the instructor. How about if they fall asleep? Which is a bit of a problem for me <laughs> in college. Yeah, so we looked into basically shocking the students, but that apparently <laughs> violates FERPA. And so we decided to not do that. But we do have more kind ways of activating students. So the instructor can prompt a student uh, to, to do things like, uh, you know, basically raise a student to the podium and ask the student to answer a question. But back, by the way, to how do we display the information? So there is a dashboard that... Uh, and by the way, we download all this data. It can be downloaded in a CSV format, so instructors can put it into a analytics package of their choice. But we also prompt in real time the instructor with data. So there is an overall aggregate of the level of engagement of the students, which is shown as the thermometer, which we update every few seconds. We also show per student a little dot. So for a student who's fallen asleep, and, and by the way, Todd, that definitely happened to me, especially, by the way, in large auditoriums. So again, I think we make the experience for students much better than sitting in these mega auditoriums where they're being talked at. And again, today, I mean, there's no reason for students to be talked at. They can just, you know, attend the course at Coursera and listen at their pleasure. I think basically it's more about the engagement and talking to their peers and so on. So per student, we show a little dot, green or red, to give the level of engagement. We show one other indicator to the instructor or two other indicators to the instructor that give a sense of engagement. One is a thumbs up, thumbs down, which is explicit with respect to the instructor. So the instructor can see that the student in the front row gave a thumbs up. And by the way, the other student just see kind of a floating thumbs up or thumbs down, but they don't know specifically which student has provided that indication. The other type of feedback we enable the students to give back to the professor is a thermometer. And uh, sorry, it's reflected in the thermometer, but it's basically feedback that the students can provide anytime they want from a green smiley face to a red frowny face. As you well know, when you give people the ability to provide anonymous feedback, they're much more likely to provide it and much more likely to be truthful. Yeah, you just spawned a thought that, you know, often there's a lot of groupthink that happens in classes and maybe people are don't feel safe to express their, their real opinion about a topic you know, especially controversial issues. Do you think that this kind of platform can enable that learning, but also can enable people to bring their full selves, whatever side of the argument they're on? Absolutely. So a few things. First of all, as you pointed out, even though we started development not too long ago, by November, we already were deployed in classrooms. And one of the classrooms we were deployed in, the professor who was a very, very capable instructor, noticed something super interesting, which candidly we did not anticipate. And this also talks about inclusivity as well as a group think. So because the tables are private, 
people are much more comfortable talking around the table than they are talking to the entire class. And so if you have a shy student that didn't understand something, it's much more comfortable for them to ask their friends around the table, hey, did you understand what the professor just said? And if they see that nobody else knows what's going on, then they're much more likely to raise a hand. Same, by the way, to your point, in the group think, if they disagree with the instructor, they can kind of check out their thinking around the table before they bring it out to the entire class. But we actually mechanize that even further. So one of the things we allow an instructor to do is to throw out a poll question that will automatically divide the class into tables where people have different points of view. So... Todd might have a four point of view and Dan might have a con point of view and the instructor would ask the question, you would answer pro, I would answer con, they automatically would throw us to a table where you and I can then argue it out. Now, because again, the instructor is never separated out from the tables, the instructor can continue repolling to see if you convinced me or if I convinced you, or if they see that the breakdown between the pros and cons hasn't shifted, uh, that's probably a good time to resume uh, the classroom and continue the discussion. But, you know, Tom, I mean, Highline always said that he didn't learn anybody, anything from anybody who agreed with him. But to me, this way predates that. Socrates taught that way. And even further back in the, the Talmudic uh, studies, all about people arguing. I mean, the Talmud is basically in the middle of the page. You have a section uh, from a previous uh, religious book, and all around it is rabbis arguing about this one point. And so I think generally having a conversation with people having different points of view is a very, very effective pedagogy uh, to get people to learn. Absolutely. And I think today, whether it's in society, corporate America, or or on college campuses, diversity and inclusion is such an important component of, of our goals. And you really are talking about how it's threaded into the platform to enable it in in a way that is inclusive, you know, and and not just in maybe different points of view, but I also think you've been thinking about other areas like internet connection isn't always fast in some places, and you have to think about that. Or mobile, a lot of people are taking looking at stuff through mobile devices. So, any other thoughts on on how you're being intentional about the platform and really trying to make it as is available to to all parties. So purposefully, I use old computers just so we're not practicing on the latest and greatest high-speed computers. Uh, some of the computers I use even for the instructor side have a Windows 7 sticker on them. They're running Windows 10 right now, but they're very old hardware and runs great. And for same for students. Uh, to your point about bandwidth, we did a lot of work to reduce as much as possible the bandwidth both up and down. So we don't require very high quality video from the students. And when we download to the students, because of the way that our system works, you do not need to get video streams for all your students. I was on a panel last week that was run on Zoom and they told us ahead of time that if more than 20 people show up, everybody has to turn off their camera except the panelists. And sure enough, they had more than 20. Sure enough, everybody turned their camera and engaged. You can have hundreds of people all with their camera open because of the way we handle the bandwidth and we are the compute. In terms of mobile, you can use our current, all our students setting, and this is back to your point about inclusivity, Todd, it's all browser-based. You don't need to load any software on any particular machine. And so it'll run very well in Chromebooks and we're practicing on old Chromebooks. It'll run in a browser and a mobile device. Because of the limitations of size on the mobile device, we are now doing a full 
native application for both iOS and Android to give a better experience when somebody has a five or six inch display. One more aspect of inclusivity are people with various types of challenges. So we, we put one of our top engineers, a woman who's been working with me for all her career and most of mine ever since she graduated from Caltech 30 years ago. And her whole focus is accessibility. And we also hired Tenen, who is one of the leading experts in accessibility for universities to audit our system. So we have all the usual things that you would expect, like closed captioning for people with hearing challenges and the ability to zoom everything up for people with sight challenges, as well as all the buttons on the monitor are all mapped into physical keys on a keyboard for somebody who can't find them uh, using a mouse. But beyond that, we have capabilities to include the people that you cannot do with other platforms. So I'll give a couple of examples. You can put on a table an ASL interpreter with the people that need the services of the sign language expert, and they can sign back and forth while the class is ongoing in a completely private way that does not cause them to feel self-conscious. And so let's say that the person who has hearing challenges couldn't understand something. They can literally sign to the ASL interpreter while the class is ongoing. The ASL interpreter can sign back and the class continues. Same for people with visual challenges. You could put a narrator in a table with the people that need the services of a narrator. The narrator can narrate what's happening on the slide. We mix that together with audio coming from the instructor. And again, the people that need the services can ask. And the last example I give is people with various forms of dyslexia can again sit with somebody to help them out. And they can be sitting in a live class with that person effectively sitting right by them, talking to them live. And you cannot do this on other platforms. Yeah, so let's jump into your customers for a second. It, pretty much we've been focused on higher education, I think mostly US-based. I mean, how are you thinking about the go-to-market and is K-12 potentially involved there? You talked about your daughters initially for the platform. Because I was not uh, born in this country, so I'm uh, I've always focused in all the companies I'm involved in on international markets as a first-class citizen. So we from the beginning, started reaching out to universities outside the U.S. So we are working with universities in Israel, universities in the U.K., uh, in Australia, and other parts of Europe. So we're not just focused on the U.S. We have had a fair amount of interest from corporate education, which we're at the moment not spending time on because our 100% of our focus is on higher education. It's kind of interesting, uh, your point about K-12. to One of the, or some of actually, more than one of the universities we work with are universities that train teachers. And these teachers then go to a K-12 to environment. They want to bring Engagely with them. As a father to a K-12 to and a former K-12, to my older daughter is now in college, just finished her first year. Not sure that 100% online is the right solution for K-12. to I think recess is important and lunch with the friends in the cafeteria is important. I do think that eventually we'll make our way both into corporate education and uh, K-12. to There is starting to be more and more enrichment classes and tutoring classes, which Engage is perfectly suited for. Um, there are some K-12 to international schools, so people in one country learning from teachers based in another country. So I think we could be of service in that environment. So there's definitely a broader use of our platform beyond higher ed. But as you well know from 
uh, way more than I do, Todd. That <laughs> there's plenty of work to be done in uh, K to in sorry in higher ed. They'll keep us busy for a while. Absolutely. And on that note, so life is returning back to normal. It it appears that the fall, most people are going to kind of go back to traditional face to face learning. And I, I even like the idea that there's face to face learning and there's online learning. When I hear something like Engagely, these things are starting to to blend together, right? In in, in, a, in a respect, the platform that you offer is is so engaging, and you know, versus the the face to face is important, but it, it it's not evolving necessarily. Maybe it is at some level. So, what are your views on the idea? Obviously, there's been huge push in March of last year to get back to to you know to get online in some form or fashion. There's been a lot of adaptation. Really amazing what's happened. But what do you think the new normal is like? Do you think people are just going to go back to their traditional way of teaching and learning? Or do you think that we've sort of, you know, jumped to a new plateau of some kind where online education and tools like Zoom or Engagely are going to be almost become ubiquitous? How are you thinking about that? Obviously, the latter. Otherwise, we wouldn't have gone to this effort. And the statistics are bearing it out. So I'll start with actually a broader view, which is what do adults want? to do today. And so I'm sure you saw that Robert Half survey that showed that a significant, I forget if it's a quarter or a third of employees said that if they're forced to go back 100% of the time to the office, they'll quit and change jobs. And about 75% of employees want to either work fully remote or partially remote. I don't think we're going back to everybody shows up, you know, nine to five in a office in a suit and tie. I mean, those days are over, even without a suit and tie. And the same is true for students. All the surveys I've heard from our partner universities are that a quarter to a third of the students would very much like to remain remote, or at least, uh, and more than half want to be able to consume at least part of their education online. Now, this trend has started a long time ago. So even before the pandemic, at least half of the students took at least one online course, especially, by the way, among the working adults. Uh, the junior and community colleges that have a large amount of working adults have been at the forefront and also pioneers like ASU, like SNU, have catered to that community and have done a great job of building a very large university uh, audience uh, for that. So I don't think we're going back to everybody marches to class all the time. And candidly, when I talk even to our younger engineers, uh, who mostly went to elite uh, universities, they'll tell me, yeah, you know, once they figured out a class that was recorded, they showed up, looked at their recording at double the speed, uh, did the homework, and were happy. Our view is that there'll be a blend, and we intend to have our features useful even in a face-to-face class. So, for example, the quizzes or polls, in-class students can do them. The note-taking, which is linked automatically to the recording of the class for further review, Whenever students want to prepare for a test, students in class can use it. So we're trying to build a tool for education with a capital E, not online education. And we 100% agree with you, Todd. It's going to be a spectrum from people in class, people watching, uh, participating in class synchronously, people participating in the class asynchronously. And candidly, I think many classes will be a combination of all of the above. And soon we just decide, you know, on Tuesdays I have a shift that I have to go to, so I can't come to the live class. I think you'll see a great uh, variety. That thing is, uh, is the whole point of lifelong learning which today, it's kind of interesting. I've been spending a lot of time on LinkedIn because we're hiring a lot of people. So people are spending a lot of time on 
getting credentials that will appear on their LinkedIn profile. Hopefully, I'm happiest when I see it's a Coursera credential, but there's other organizations providing these credentials. And again, I mean, for many people, having interaction and engagement is important. Not everybody can look and you know plow through a class simply by watching recorded videos and answering quiz questions. Yeah, just to hit on one of the last points, as higher education, post-secondary education starts to fragment almost, I just read a stat from JFF Lab, Jobs for the Future, that 62% of Americans prefer non-degree skills training options over two or four-year degree programs. Not to sort of think that the the degree is going away, because I certainly don't think it is, but that's pretty telling. And how are you thinking about this category, right? You just mentioned it. People are are trying to bring these skills-based certificates or badges to demonstrate their skills onto platforms like LinkedIn. How do you think a platform like Engagely can play in this sort of wild, wild west of non-degree, you know, badging and skills that training that's happening out there? Whether it's degree or non-degree, it's still teaching and learning going on, and we intend to be there when there's teaching and learning going on, whether it's towards a degree or towards a credential. So to us, there's really no difference. I mean, the same type of capabilities that we offer instructors to make it a better experience for their learners, we provide. If anything, I think, you know, there'll be much more competition on these credentials because you can't like, you know, hide behind the halo of a university that's been around for 300 years. It doesn't have to try too hard. I mean, I went to university, wasn't 300 years old, but the university I attended, you know, they didn't really care very much about the student experience because they knew that the students coveted the diploma and they could do whatever they wanted. I'm happy to say, by the way, that it's greatly improved, but especially in this credentialing, I would say, look, there's going to be people that find the students and provide the content, and there's people that do the underlying platforms. We provide the underlying platform, and it, it's a heavy lift. I mean, uh, the technology behind what we do is not trivial. You know, in our founding team, we have two former Stanford computer science professors. We have a lot of very, very skilled engineers. It's complicated, and so we provide the, the underpinnings. But by the way, I mean, uh, do I, I think candidly both are needed. I, I think it's very important to have a foundation in a, and get a degree. And pretty much everything I learned in the Technion, which is the MIT equivalent of Israel, is totally irrelevant today. So you definitely need to continue, especially in technical fields, but also in other fields, evolve your knowledge. And I, I think these non degree credentials show future employers that people are seriously taking that um, or seriously taking it. We saw it in Coursera, by the way. Uh, Daphne used to run learner surveys at Coursera, and we definitely saw, and I'm sure you've read the published uh, surveys, that definitely people who took Coursera classes that gave them more skills ended up with, in many cases, a higher paycheck. So there's definitely benefit for people to invest the time to improve their knowledge, whether it's credentialed or a degree. So what's what's next for you and Engagely now that you're you're flush with two rounds of funding over the last year? How are you thinking about the execution and, and new ideas that maybe aren't in the platform yet? Especially, I mean, you talked a little about this, but you know, you hear a lot about machine learning and artificial intelligence. You've got these amazing folks from Stanford and whatnot. How are you thinking about using some of those technologies to emerge the platform? Like all your questions, it's a great question. 
So uh, as you may know, Daphne is a machine learning professor. She actually got her MacArthur Genius Award for work she did in machine learning. Uh, that's why I do not use the word machine learning lightly. And also when I was a VC, a lot of people showed up and sprinkled some machine learning fairy dust on top of their business plan, thinking that that's going to totally change my view of it. Um, so first of all, for machine learning, you need data. And so our, that's where we collect all this data. Once we have sufficient amounts of data at scale, I think we can offer something that was never offered before, which is real insight into what works and what doesn't, into real personalized learning journeys. So all that obviously is facilitated by machine learning slash AI. Uh, so it's definitely something we're thinking of. Other things, by the way, where we think we could be of great help to instructors, we can show which type of content resonates with which types of students. You know, something that might be interesting to you and me for people that are significantly younger, they won't know what we're talking about. And we're, we're going to measure the level of engagement they have. Even simple th things that sound simple but are not, think about a project that you to do in class, a 10-minute project. We can measure how engaged people were with that project idea and was it a good project to do or not a, something that engages you. So there's definitely a lot of room for that. To your earlier point, we're doing a lot of work on integrations with kind of the surrounding scaffolding that universities have. We're very focused on the user experience of both instructors and of uh, students. We think it's key. I actually think students are going to have more and more of a voice down the road. And so it's very important to provide them with a good experience. So that's an area of focus to us. And candidly, what I spend a lot of my time on is recruiting. And uh, we want only the best people to work for us. And as I'm sure you know, this is a very tight hiring market. And we work hard to find the people that can help us build the platform. Yeah, I just wanted to underscore one of your points. When I started in, in uh, marketing technology, was probably 15 years ago, the big expression was multivariate testing to improve your advertising. And it's just a constant AB, AB testing all day long. And that's sort of what you were talking about in just looking at things, measuring what works, what doesn't, throwing out what doesn't work and keep making things better. And I think that's incredible for education because generally that's not how things have been done, right? Some sort of expert of instructional designers or faculty go out there, they say, we're just gonna, we're gonna use this textbook, we're gonna use this content and go. And that's actually not what might make the learning happen. So I think that's a, that's a great nugget there that you gave us um, towards the end here. So on that note, this is my, my last question. I ask it of all my guests and I love hearing the different stories. Who has been a learning champion for you and how has that person helped you in your life? So there's many, 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 many people that I've learned from over the years. But since you told me to pick one, I'll pick uh, the late Effie Arazi. So Effie was a household name in Israel throughout the 70s and 80s. He was a Steve Jobs equivalent of Israel. He was the one who started the high-tech company movement, which now Israel is known as Startup Nation. But Effie was one of its uh, forefathers, especially when it came to non-defense type operations. Um, so I had the great privilege of working very closely with Effie for a number of years at EFI, a company which I was one of the first employees. I was an engineer there, and eventually I was promoted to be the CEO and later chairman of the company. 
So I learned a lot from Effie. Effie, by the way, interestingly enough, because he never actually bothered too much with high school, he didn't get accepted into any of the Israeli universities. So he ended up uh, reaching out to a professor at MIT and got into MIT. But And Effie, by the way, was one of the designers of the camera that the astronauts used to film the first uh, moon landing. And so I learned a lot from Effie, and all of it was not in a didactic kind of, oh, this is what you got to do, this is what you should do. Effie actually is one of the main ways he had to convey messages was via jokes. He had a plethora of jokes, but the jokes uh, had a point to them. And I'll tell you just one famous Effie expression was you would come into his room, he would say, start from the end. He did not want to hear the whole story. He was not a very patient man. I'll tell you, actually, I'll tell you one other thing that was useful because you're, you're a very successful businessman. You'll appreciate it. When AFI was a tiny, tiny company, we went to negotiate a very complicated deal with Canon, which at the time was definitely a huge, it still is a huge company, and it's a tens of billions of dollars in revenue. And we're sitting outside the door of this Canon executive, and Effie outlined what we're going to ask for, and asked Effie, what's our uh, fallback position? So we have no fallback position. I said, how come? I said, well, if you have a fallback position, you will fall back to your fallback position. So you should not have a fallback position. Sure enough, we got everything we wanted. <laughs> All right, Dan. Well, thank you so much for your time and speaking with me today. I'm excited to see how Engage would grow and transform education. This is really an inspiring story and gives me hope that education is going to be much better tomorrow than it is today. So until next time, this has been An Educated Guest. Thank you very much, Todd, for everything. Thanks for joining us on today's episode. If you like what you're hearing, be sure to subscribe to An Educated Guest on your listening platform so you don't miss the latest episodes. For more information on Wiley Education Services, please visit edservices.wiley.com.